Nah, I don't like that. Well, try just putting a, even if it takes a hair more time, putting a little bit more of a right thing on correct. Correct 13. Bad News, Angry Voices from Around the World is a monthly news program in English based on short segments by all radios of the Anarchist Radio Network. It's put together every month by a different project in a rotating mode, so every project should only be doing this every one to five. Oh, this is really boring. If this news is bad, I don't want to be good. Welcome to the 61st episode of Bad News, Angry Voices from Around the World, the monthly English language podcast from members of the International A-Radio Network. This month, we feature audios from comrades at Free Social Radio 1431 AM in Thessaloniki, Greece, about femicides, golden dawn fascists in the courts, the evictions at Streffy Hill in Athens, and the police murder of a 16-year-old cyclist. Then we'll hear from Frequenza, an interview about a new squat in Ljubljana known as PLAC. Finally, we'll share a small portion of the conversation we at the Final Straw Radio in the so-called USA conducted with a member of the Federation of Anarchism era about the feminist uprisings across Iran sparked by the police murder of Gina Amini, a.k.a. Masa Amini. But first, A-Radio Berlin will share their conversation with Anarchist Black Cross Belarus about their 2022 European fundraising info tour. Anarchist Black Cross Belarus is right now doing an info tour through Europe and our comrades also happened to give a talk in Berlin on the 6th of October 2022. We quickly caught up with them after the talk about the situation that they're facing and the current state of events and also tried to summarize some great parts of the discussion that happened after the talk. Some tips and tricks that the comrade who did the talk gave on how to win the next possible uprising that we find ourselves to be part of and turn it into a successful revolution. Hello, Boris. So nice you're talking to us. Would you mind introducing yourself for a short moment? Right. So, as you said, I'm Boris and I'm from ABC Belarus. I've um, been active in the group for quite some time. Um, we're doing solidarity work with arrested anarchists and anti-fascists in Belarus and people who are under different types of repressions by the Belarusian regime. So we were following like, with great interest the uprisings in 2020. So now it's 2022. What's new? What's the situation like right now? Well, to make it short, the situation is shit. To make it a little bit longer is that the things are developing quite rapidly in the negative direction. So there was some counting in 2020 and in 2021 that at some point repressions will stop um, and we would get like a little bit rolled back on on how severe the Belarusian regime is or was. But this didn't happen. So even like two years later, um, there are still people arrested for participating in protests in 2020. Um, there are still people tortured. And on top of that, um, the war in Ukraine kind of like pushed Lukashenko even further in direction of Russia. And he currently, as we see, kind of lost completely political independence from anything what he's doing in the country. So Russians can go in and go out without any questions and so on and so forth. Um, and this is also bringing a little bit the possibility of the changes. So for us, um, 
it is now even more clear, although it was clear even in 2020, that without the fall of the Russian regime, it is hard to imagine um, the new political changes or political systems in Belarus or in other countries that are right now under like a severe, you know, choke of the of Moscow. Um, so this is another part that is affecting a lot. Of course, the war is happening and Belarusian regime is... Um, answering quite harsh towards the people who are trying to protest or towards the people who are trying to um, resist it in any way. Um, so people are also getting arrested for that, not for like, you know, um, in Russia you have articles for um, defamation of the Russian army. In Belarus you don't have that, but you do have a lot of political articles and a lot of like extremist articles that can be used to prosecute um, those who are opposing the war. And also Lukashenko is... Uh, not really directly participating in the war as it is, um, he is still putting a lot of efforts into making this war successful, first of all, for Putin and for the victory of Russia. So um, this includes also repressions against the Belarusian um, activists who are still in the country. For example, like a lot of people have heard about this railroad wars that were happening in Belarus at the beginning of the war, um, people who were sabotaging the railroad infrastructure to prevent uh, fast movement of the Russian forces. Um, those people are... Um, kind of like very hardly targeted some of them for example during the detention were shot in legs and there is a new article that was introduced that would um, allow the death penalty uh, for those who were trying to commit terrorist actions so there is also a fear that those people will be prosecuted um, for those things as well yeah so dear listeners please everyone keep donating tons of money to ABC Belarus and keep writing tons of postcards or even letters <laughs> to imprisoned comrades and other imprisoned like fellow workers in Belarus. I have uh, my second question, which happens to be the last one also. Um, comrades from Belarus said that they didn't really expect like the big uprisings in 2020 to happen. And I was wondering now, in now that you have hindsight on the Belarusian uprising from 2022, if similar things, even with like having different contexts here, obviously, would be to happen, for example, this fall in Germany. I don't know, high enterprises, like people just be like, BAM! We don't want the regime, we don't want capitalism, maybe, we don't know, <laughs> but we know. <laughs> what, what would you say, what lessons did you learn? Like, what should we be doing as anarchists in unexpected times of widespread, when widespread uprisings in the society where we happen to live in I think what's important is to be um, ready for everything to a certain extent um, in the sense that those uprisings are not happening as a pure anarchist revolution or socialist revolution or whatever even the fucking right wing revolution um, all those social movements that are like really booming are quite a mixture of political ideas and political thoughts and quite often the ideas that for some people took like years to absorb during those moments of uprisings during those moments of social movements are um, getting taken by huge parts of the society very fast people are interested in solutions and to address that we actually have to be on the streets we actually have to be with the people and be also aggressive in our political ideas, not be afraid of us being anarchists, not being afraid of our political 
ideas and goals and dreams and actually present them to the people um, because I know that um, quite often um, anti-fascists and anarchists and any progressive activists are afraid to scare away the people right, uh, with their political ideas. You shouldn't be. Actually, a lot of people are very receptive to words, anti-authoritarian ideas. They are actually striving for the equal and free society. It is quite rare to find the people, you know, in the social movements who would be like, yes, I am for fascist regime. I actually want to go to the, con uh, to the concentration camp and I want to fucking die um, in the authoritarian regime. People do want freedoms and um, it is up to different political um, movements to define those freedoms. Um, so for us as anarchists, we should present our version of freedom, how we see it, and f what people can actually get from those social movements, from those social um, uprisings. And of course, this can happen anywhere. Like, you never know. And the point here is not, again, to sit on your chair and wait for the perfect um, situation, but rather, like, work with what you got and be insistent and be brave and fucking active yeah another comrade involved in the uprising gave us the following advice in addition to that we want to share it with you dear listeners which is for one when revolution happens be flexible <laughs> like whatever you decided on collectively today might not be the things that are actually working and or needed tomorrow so be able to find a solution on the spot for the situation that you actually encounter. Then print loads of leaflets because people are super interested in the moment of like huge demonstrations to, to get some material that they can engage with. Share contacts, networks, whatever you have. If you happen to know a cool print shop that will help you print all the revolutionary propaganda, then print as much as you can and help other people who are doing revolutionary work to also do that. Collect and spread as much infrastructure also, apart from contacts and networks, as you can. Be it like a sound system, be it loads of megaphones. Our friend and comrade mentioned that like most people in Belarus were at the protest the first time. They didn't have like a megaphone at home, but they were like super grateful if someone was able to provide that actually for them and for everyone. Then <laughs> another tip that we got was learn how to talk to people. Like when you're amidst a lot of other protesters, learn how to approach people with what you think might be good tactics in a situation or which might be good strategy or good goals to go for i don't know advice on how to protect yourself from persecution and repression like learn how to talk to people on the streets but also at the neighborhood assemblies at the gatherings you happen to be part of to your colleagues like learn how to talk about the revolution the uprising from anarchist perspective learn to speak up then another tip that we got keep doing what you're good at like don't try to do stuff that you never did before like that were not part of your spectrum of action before the uprising because it might be you happen to be not good at it like you might fail trying like the first time to i don't know arm yourself but maybe other people who already have experience with that kind of stuff are better at it and can maybe like teach you how to do it but try to work with what you got 
and be realistic with your resources and be content about what you can achieve with them. Keep doing what you're good at. But also, on the other hand, like grab the moment of uprising. Like don't follow too harsh on routines that you have that take a lot of time and space, but also see what possibilities the moment gives you and try to free resources from your everyday life to put in the revolutionary moment and the movement. Like the last piece of advice that our friend gave us is since we have, for example, maybe already some experiences with being in demonstrations as an organized group, like we might know how to move, how to make collective decision making, how to act as a group of people. And that's something that maybe the other 500,000 people that are on the streets next to you don't. So just like try and find a way of showing on the front line how to be an organized group of people moving through the protests. Thanks so much again for sharing these. We are happy to spread this knowledge. Anything you would like to add? Yeah, as you were saying, don't forget to donate. Don't forget to donate to ABC Belarus for our work is not financed by NGOs or states or CIA, although some people tend to say that we are CIA-sponsored. Never got any sense. So we are, we are working solely on donations and we need those donations to actually cover the costs of lawyers um, to cover the costs of food parcels and we are right now in the fucking debt and we do not have a plan how to cover those debts apart from just like working even more and getting like even more stress um, towards paying those debts unless people are donating and unless people are supporting what we are doing um, and actually making solidarity happen because that's what it makes right now. A lot of money, a lot of um, people who require that uh, money and those people actually feel the international solidarity when the lawyers are coming, when the postcards are coming, um, when the food parcels are coming and even not only the people who are sitting in prisons but their families, their friends, their relatives and the, all those who are outside of Belarus right now, all of them who actually receive that solidarity, they feel that they are not alone. And I think that's one of the most important parts of the solidarity, that people should never be left on their own in those hard moments. And please share your website with us. Twice would be best. Right. So it's abc-belarus.org and abc-belarus.org. You can also find it in the search engines and in the social networks. And if you put a little bit of efforts, you will find the Anarchist Black Cross Belarus. It's not complicated. It's everywhere. So thank you so much for your great work and good luck to all of us, I guess. Yeah. Thank you as well. You just heard A Radio Berlin covering the fundraising info tour by Anarchist Black Cross Belarus, currently crossing Europe. Next up, Updates from Comrades in Thessaloniki. Greetings from Greece, from Free Social Radio, 14.31 a.m. Trigger warning. Murder, femicide, police violence and incompetence and fascism. In Larissa was recorded the 17th femicide of 2022. The victim was a 35-year-old woman who was found dead in her apartment on September the 9th. The woman was murdered by her partner on the same day she pressed charges against him for domestic abuse. 
She reported to the police that her 27-year-old partner attacked her but before the cops could apprehend him, he killed her by smashing her skull perhaps as an act of revenge. According to the autopsy, the woman was dead a week before the body was found. She was found because the neighbors informed the police about a really bad smell that was coming from the apartment. On September 12th, a 50-year-old woman died at the General Hospital of Komotini. Her husband threw gasoline on her and lit her on fire. After that, he put out the fire and called the police. The woman was transferred to the General Hospital of Komotini, but unfortunately, she couldn't make it. She was murdered by her husband because she wanted to break up with him. On September the 30th, the 31-year-old woman Anna Cruz was killed together with her child by her husband, a 56-year-old farmer. The couple was divorced and the woman was ready to leave for Germany with her child, something that didn't sit well with him. In fact, he seemed to threaten her he would not allow that to happen. Around that time, the court was deciding on the matter of the custody of the child. On the 30th of September, the man led his wife and child to their estate where he shot them right before taking his own life. Streffy Hill belongs to its turtles. The past year, there is a general attack by the state at public spaces in the center of Athens, Greece, around the famous for its political action neighborhood of Exarchia and the surrounding areas. In an attempt by the state to gentrify and refine these areas, Airbnbs are increasing as a way to sell the history of the center as a tourist experience, the university areas are slowly being locked up, and several streets or areas are being reconstructed against homeless people or people that just want to hang out in the streets. Among those places are, ex- are the Exarchia Square and Streffy Hill, which are both well-known free and public places against any economical exploitation, where anyone can hang out freely in the center of the city. Exarchia Square has been surrounded by construction fences since the end of August. With the excuse of building a metro station, the square was demolished. Since December of 2021, there has been numerous occasions that the construction workers and machinery had made their appearance on Streffy Hill with the people of the neighborhood protesting against them. But during the last month, intentions of, of heavy construction were clear. So many people organized in an assembly to defend the public space of Streff Hill, with many actions, informative campaigns, demonstrations and activities taking place. That led the police forces to regularly use violence and chemicals, even while children were playing in the area. Even the union of a public elementary school of the neighborhood called out the police violence after the father of a student was beaten up and arrested because some kids wanted to use the basketball field to play and the police attacked them. Court of Appeal of Golden Dawn Trial The appeal hearing of the fascist organization Golden Dawn continues in which members of the organization request their release from prison after the court's first instance conviction for criminal organization. 
there was a massive gathering outside the Court of Appeal on Wednesday, September 28th and Friday, October 7th, where people demanded Nazis in prison. The trial began with the defense of fascists on Wednesday and continued on Friday with a testimony of Magda Fisa, mother of Pavlos Fisa, who was murdered by members of the organization. After the end of her testimony, a Golden Dawn member's attorney gave a Nazi salute in the courtroom. The very same person happens to be family related with, a min- with the minister of the current government. Police kills 16-year-old bicycle rider in hit and run. On Thursday, 22nd of September, a cyclist got carried away by a car at 3 in the afternoon while driving on a very busy street in, a, in the wider region of Thessaloniki, Greece. The first mass media articles were identifying the cyclist as a middle-aged man and gave no leads on the driver, but after three hours the news changed. The cyclist was a 16-year-old child who was hit by a police vehicle and even though it is said that the driver gave his statement to the police right after the incident, no official report was given by the state police. After a long battle of eight days, the child passed away in the hospital and his parents donated his organs. Even after the victim's passing, neither police nor state gave an official statement about the incident and the media quickly forgot about it. It is once again clear that the cops can get away with anything even if that involves the death of a minor. That was Free Social Radio, 1431 AM in Thessaloniki. Now, Frequenza will share their interview on the recently opened squat in Ljubljana, known as PLAC, or Platz. Thank you so much for finding time to talk with us. Maybe first you can introduce yourself, how you want to be called, then maybe tell a little bit about the new squad. We know nothing. I don't know where to start. Okay, sure thing. Um, my name is Jan. Uh, I am a member of the uh, coordination and PR team at the new squad that has opened two Saturdays ago uh, on the 3rd of September in Ljubljana. And you can refer to me as Comrade Jan. Jan. Uh, in terms of the squad, it is called PLATS. And it's the, the name itself is an acronym for the um, Ljubljana Participatory uh, Autonomous Zone. Of course, the acronym doesn't work in English the same way as it does in Slovene, but I think you get the idea. Now, the way that um, we decided to structure uh, our uh, presence in the media is to present this as a autonomous zone that basically serves as a critical response to uh, ever-increasing uh, gentrification in Ljubljana, but also in Slovenia as a whole and the um, mass short shortage of places where young people can uh, autonomously work to achieve their dreams of self-reliance and uh, cultural um, process mostly it mostly serves as a place uh, where you are free of self-censorship free of the ever commercialized market it's a open place for anybody to fulfill uh, their dreams 
What's your opinion? Is it also kind of linked to the eviction of rock or maybe even as a response on the things the, the city council or the city is uh, now doing with the former building of rock that they do kind of a social center done or run by the state or the city in some, I don't know, really restricted way? Well, our connection to ROG is basically just that a lot of people that used to participate in the autonomous factory of ROG have, are also participating now in uh, Platz, but they constitute a minority of people. It's, it's mostly a completely new generation of squatters and, well, people participating in such things. However, we, we do have a respectful um, attitude towards the legacy of ROG, but we, we really try to avoid to see ourselves as a sort of rogue 2.0 so far in regards to how how the uh, city authority treated the former factory we have a bit of an advantage since the place itself that we are squatting is not in possession of the Ljubljana authority but rather it is in possession of the so-called public tender for collection of binding bids which is um, like this government-owned uh, public tender that basically seizes uh, abandoned property and then sells it off to, well, the highest bidder for uh, for uh, their own sustain sustainability. Thus, we are not really, we don't have to interact with the city authority, which has been extremely hostile to uh, any sort of autonomous uh, zones or squats, both in the past and Uh, also in the future and instead we have to lead talks with this public tender for collection of binding bids instead which is a bit more favorable uh, fingers crossed and you described also already the idea of the squad but maybe you can describe what it is like how big it is is it outskirts or maybe it's in the center of Ljubljana or like uh, what it is physically to imagine um, so the, the place itself is a four Former restaurant slash pub that was used by a trade union for road workers that no longer exists. Um, and then afterwards, it was just a pub that was used by the general community in the vicinity. Then it was abandoned for 10 years and now we are using it. It is roughly 80 square meters of space plus uh, a very large basement area with a lot of uh, different rooms that will be repurposed for art ateliers or um, MMA slash uh, kind of like a gym. It's not exactly in the center. It's it's a good 15 to 20 minute walk from the center. And it's, it's located on what is generally conceived of as a re relatively big street. However, it's sort of off to the side next to a industrial zone and surrounded by a high-density residential area. However, the, the building itself is also surrounded with a lot of um, trees and sort of like a jungle, but this is just as a consequence of uh, years of neglect. A good, a good consequence of this is that any sound that we emit from the place itself is sort of muffled by all this uh, foliage. To answer your question, we are not really in the city center. We're not even in the outskirts. We're just sort of in between area, in, in a high density sort of uh, post-socialist residential uh, area. 
does it plan also that somebody would leave uh, inside or you only will use it as a social center or something like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, people are already living inside it. Every day we have uh, collective breakfast, uh, lunch and dinner. There's at any point at least five to ten people who are sleeping in the place itself. However, we are trying to increase this this number uh, because it is vital for to, it is vital to prevent uh, sudden eviction or let's say police raids or uh, raids by the security job that uh, the uh, public tender for collection of binding bids uh, has hired to protect the actual building itself. So there are people living there, but the primary purpose is for it to serve as a social center. Maybe you can also tell a little bit about activities you carried out there so far since you squatted it um, some weeks ago. Yeah, of course. So we have conducted a lot of picnics. We've conducted picnics both for people who just are passing by, people who occupy the place, and also uh, for the communi surrounding community uh, because we generally want to uh, keep good ties to the community and also to avoid any violent confrontation or disturbance of public peace or whatever. But other than that, we have also organized several concerts from various folk singers to a um, uh, in Slovenia there's this phenomenon of partisan singing choirs uh, <laughs> one of them came and gave a concert and we've also organized performances by a circus group that used to work in Rog and Metelkova as well as uh, various um, like learning learning um, basic uh, dexterity and practical things like uh, knitting welding you know things like this and also tutorships for English um, for children that cannot afford uh, very expensive tutors Th things like this sounds really cool and as like uh, the connection with the neighborhood is a really crucial thing if you are squatting how is that connection so far the general response from the surrounding community so far has been very positive we have had a lot of people come over and donate uh, like old mattresses and furniture and food it's, it's been it's been pretty good it's been very peaceful anyway how is it to squat in uh Uh, Ljubljana. I don't know. What could you face? What is the eviction risks and like what any uh, any prognosis you you can do? How the state can react? I would like to say that maybe it's too early to say that the squatting situation in Ljubljana has improved. We had an election, general election this year, and the co ruling coalition parties um, were once. Uh, invited to answer some questions by a group of some 100 NGOs and one of the questions was do you support basically squats and autonomous places uh, like Metelkova, like Rog and would you support uh, an expansion of, of such places and all of the ruling coalition parties uh, said that they are in favor and that they, they support this kind of activity. But so far, only one of these parties has very openly voiced their support. Uh, the Prime Minister of Slovenia actually, funnily enough, um, texted us like from his personal account on Instagram <laughs> and said something along the lines of... Uh, 
I, I, I'm following you, I support you as a person, but I know that it is only a matter of time before the property owner will, will enforce his right uh, to uh, claim his, his ter territory or whatever, yada, yada. And he used emojis, so he was very, he was very down to earth with us about, about that one. <laughs> Just generally, in Ljubljana, the main risk of eviction is um, the mayor himself that has been in position for, I believe it's over 10 years now, and he's running for another term. He has been extremely hostile to such initiatives. He has very often threatened to put an end to Metelkova. He was the one that fabricated um, uh, an eviction notice uh, for Rog, where he claimed famously that nobody was occupying the building at the time of eviction. He, he is sort of viewed as this uh, force of gent uh, perpetual gentrification of the city. And he definitely does not support us one bit. But broader uh, public support seems to be in our favor. Of course, um, with um, notable exceptions, but the the like I said earlier, the surrounding community is supportive. Um, the general public attitude is that these are some young people who have nowhere else to go, so they created a place for themselves to create and to live um, outside of uh, the limits of modern bureaucracy and commercialized living and creation. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll uh, need to come to the end of the interview, but maybe you can tell us how the people can get in touch with you and those who want to maybe network, make some mutual aid whatsoever, uh, come for a visit. Yes, of course. Um, I suggest that you follow our social media accounts. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Our name is uh, Autonomni, so A-V-T-O-N-O-M-N-I uh, underscore P-L-A-C, Platz, which course is autonomous plats uh, we post um, our activities our program um, our location is also um, you know posted in the description if anybody chooses to in, in sorry in the bios if anybody chooses to visit but in terms of help any sort of donations of old cloth uh, mattresses or furniture or maybe light bulbs uh, cables electronics whatever uh, is is very very welcome but more than anything food is necessary for the upkeep of the kitchen and of um, daily breakfasts dinners and uh, lunches but uh, if anybody chooses to visit um, and you know lend a hand with uh, with cleaning and with organizing uh, they are very very much welcome anything else that you can do is share uh, and get the word out um, because so far the response has been so positive that we are banking on the fact that public opinion being this positive of us reduces the risk of eviction by a lot and it is crucial for the continued survival of of our little um place <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool to listen to such a like um, cool history and um, successful uh, squatting. What's uh, not that easy to to believe in. So we wish you a lot of strength for the ongoing uh, struggle. A lot of fun. Yeah, fun. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you for having me. Good luck. Thank you. Gladly. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. ciao.
Hello, uh, my name is Ariana. I'm a member of the Federation of Anarchism Era. People can follow us in on Twitter, Instagram, and Telegram, uh, also on our website at ASR, A-S-R, anarchism.com. Mahsamini is her legal name, which is recorded on her birth certificate. But uh, among her family and friends, uh, she was better known as Gina, which actually means life in Kurdish language. Because of the discrimination that the Kurdish people face, they don't put their Kurdish name on the legal documents if they could help it. They use, they use a Persian name. So Gina came to Tehran with her family from her hometown, Sagez, uh, to visit some relatives and family. She was with her brother. She was approached by the guidance patrol or morality police and uh, got arrested because of her improper hijab. We are talking about police and they can do whatever with impunity. So we know what happened in the police van and we know what happened in the police station because of all the, all the other women that were arrested and saw what happened. Gina was one of the people that was protesting her arrest. And uh, what happened then was uh, the police wanted to shut the detainees up uh, for protesting. So they started beating the women inside the van. So uh, once that at the police station, she was keep mentioning to the policewoman that hey, I don't feel well, I don't feel well. And then she, she fell down unconscious. Then uh, she came about then what the police was like, no, you are faking it. This is just act. We know all these uh, tricks that you guys are playing. The other women are noticed that, no, this is, this is serious. So they were starting protesting. There are more and more women, uh, detained women joined so they can get help for Gina. But what happened was uh, the police started beating them up again to make them stop protesting. They beat Gina one more time. And uh, this time was uh, Gina went unconscious for the last time. She did not wake up after that. After, I believe it was an hour, they got the ambulance and they took her to the Castro hospital. But before they do that, they made sure to get all the evidence that um, the detainee woman may have from their cell phones. They might have taken pictures. They made sure they confiscate all of it and uh, they threatened all the detainee women uh, witnessing what happened to stay silence, to force them into silence. So what we know from there is Gina came to the hospital. When she arrived at the hospital, she was, she was basically brain dead. She was kept in coma for two days until she was declared dead. The police threatened the doctors, the, the nurses, and the hospital employees to stay silent and lie to the parents about the cause of death. They wanted to spin the story as a heart attack. So the hacktivists, the hacking activists, managed to get access to the, to the medical data of Gina. And uh, from that, uh, we know that um, she died of, because of the heavy uh, brain injury and uh, brain edema from internal bleeding. The story was already on Twitter and our social media, Persian social media on September 14th. And it was keep circulating, circulating, but uh, there was 
since she was in coma, there was hope that she would recover. But once she was declared dead two days later on um, September 16, in a few hours, there was a protest at the hospital. But the, the police uh, managed to scatter the protest uh, through uh, tear gas, pepper sprays, and uh, arresting and beating the protesters. The actual protest started in Sagez. But uh, before that, the police started playing all the tricks they could. And the regime played all the tricks they could in, uh, they had in the little book for suppression to make whatever is going to happen as small as possible. But their, her family resisted all the pressure that they were receiving from the government. And uh, they wanted to have a proper funeral. So the, the crowd managed to gather. And uh, that's when the first chance started with the uh, Magbar dictator, which is the two dictators. And uh, the other one was Jinjian Azadi, which is Kurdish for woman, life, freedom. This slogan is a slogan that has been with Kurdish people for a long time. It started with uh, Ojalan, with the feminist ideals of uh, that Ojalan was proposing with the PKK, that the woman's struggle within that party, they managed to win. With Ojalan's support, they managed to uh, turn the PKK into the more feminist organization. And a woman there started to removing their headscarf with the support and uh, encouragement of the men right there at the funeral. And from there, protests spread to the other Kurdish cities, including Sanandaj. On the September 18th and September 19th, the uprising spread to Tehran, Rasht, Isfahan, Karaj, Karaj uh, Mashhad, Ilam. On September 28th, he went further, he became even uh, to study Tabriz, Wom, Kerman, Hamadan, and Kish. Kish, uh, this is, there are so many significant cities here. They're all major cities. Something significant here is Wom and Mashhad are like the strongholds of the ideological stronghold of the regime. After that, Oshnaviye was a it was a city that got liberated, but unfortunately, it got retaken after a day. The regime used drones, thanks to the technology that the U.S. gave them, um, used drones on uh, that they tested on uh, Baluchistan and the previous uprisings. They used it on Oshnaviye. They used it on um, uh, the strongholds of the... Kurdish parties, the Kurdish uh, democratic parties, um, and um, um, Oshnaviye fell in the hands of the regime again. But the um, uprising is still kept going. Uh, the universities have started a massive strike. By now, at least 110 universities went on a strike. Sharif Univers University of Technology is a university well known worldwide. It got uh, we went on a strike and uh, it got brutally suppressed. And the police surrounded the, the university, started shooting at the students and uh, arresting them. Also, the high school students, we see high school students and even younger uh, joining the protest. We are seeing 16, 17 year old, uh, 15 years old are joined, join, uh, striking. Uh, we saw one 
there was one video that the high school students running, uh, throwing at their principal out of the high school. The uprising is still going on. This is the third week of the protest. This is the longest uprising in the last few years in Iran. The woman experienced police brutality similar to Mahsa's case every single day in Iran. Some of them get raped, some of them get killed, but the, the, the police and regime managed to silence their family by intimidating them, by getting forced confession from them to say something positive about the regime and uh, why their child wasn't wrong. It happens every single day. You can say that people of you on every opera are having a dialogue with each other their issues. In the uprising in 2017, they ended the, com the conversation about reformism. They started the conversation about overthrowing the regime. Before that, um, from 1997, that uh, Khatami became a president of the Islamic Republic. Khatami put reformism into the government, gave a lot of hope to the uh, people of Iran that the things can get better through reformism. Before then, uh, it was Rafsanjani's presidency. So Khatami's coming in is a lot of strict rules about hijab, about Islamic code of conduct, just gave some breathing room to the people. And uh, that helped the regime for 20 years. They could play that reformism game for 20 years. Until 2017, uh, which uh, people were done with reformism. Their slogans were slogans that were mentioned in 2017. In 2019, that continued, but the, it became more radical. And the conversation about overthrowing the government through armed means started happening. And uh, through the, the uprising of the Tersi, through the uprising of Balochistan, through uprising of the, the hungry, the bread riots, and that happened this year. Every time we are advancing this year, we, we were lenient on the police. Fuck the police. First, we were like, uh, screw the reformers. The reform, we cannot survive through reform. Uh, we, we cannot live through reform. We need to get rid of this government. Then it was kind of reformist still. They were still more uh, people believing in voting. Um, for example, in 2009, it was the Green Movement in Iran that the main slogan of the people were, where is my vote? People were still believing in vote. In 2017, that went away. They were not talking about votes that much. They were some small groups, but that 2019, that went away. It started more radical conversations saying, which means the two oppressors, whether it's Shah or the leader, which meant the supreme leader of the Islamic Republic. So these slogans became more prominent. And um, in 2021, which was uh, the uprising of Thursday, that conversation, 
it went forward, became more radical until this year, uh, 2022, which um, the conversation well, from the beginning was dead to dictator. It was from the beginning was uh, dead to oppressor, whether it's Shah or leader uh, from the beginning was ag- against the police. This is the way that the um, people were uh, keep going forward and um, uh, using their previous experience from the last uprising to inform their current action. Uh, to them, we are um, doing a fundraising at the moment for both our comrades in Afghanistan and the uprising in Iran. We have lost at least one anarchist from our federation. And uh, many were arrested and uh, many were uh, injured. We are trying to support them as much as we can. So we are raising funds uh, on that case. We would be very grateful for, for people's support and solidarity there. To hear more of this conversation, you can find a longer chat alongside an English transcription at thefinalstarradio.noblogs.org by searching for our October 9th, 2022 episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Bad News from the A-Radio Network. You can learn more about the network, how to join up, and where to find past and future episodes at a-radio-network.org. minus